Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. show on civil rights. My name is Barbara Bullen and I'm one of the radio hosts for the New Heights Show on Education and the New Heights Educational Group. I hope you enjoy the show and I'm asking our listeners to consider becoming a sponsor. This show is pre-recorded. This show is the second based on Susan B. Anthony, Women's Suffrage, Women's Rights and Abolitionist. Information taken from wikipedia.org American Equal Rights Association Anthony stayed with her brother, Danielle, in Kansas for eight months in 1865 to assist with his newspaper. She headed back east after she learned that an amendment to the U.S. Constitution had been proposed that would provide citizenship for African Americans but would also, for the first time, introduce the word male into the Constitution. Anthony supported citizenship for blacks, but opposed any attempt to link it with a reduction in the status of women. Her ally Stanton agreed, saying, if that word male be inserted, it will take us a century at least to get it out. Anthony and Stanton worked to revive the women's rights movement which had become nearly dormant during the Civil War. In 1866, they organized the 11th National Women's Rights Convention, the first since the Civil War began, unanimously adopting a resolution introduced by Anthony, the convention voted to transform itself into the American Equal Rights Association, AERA, whose purpose was to campaign for the equal rights of all citizenships, of all citizens, especially the right of suffrage. The leadership of the new organization included such prominent activists as Lucretia Mott, Lucy Stone, and Frederick Douglass. The AERA's drive for universal suffrage was resisted by some abolitionist leaders and their allies in the Republican Party. During the period before the 1867 convention to revise the New York State Constitution, Horace Greeley, a prominent newspaper editor, told Anthony and Stanton, this is a critical period for the Republican Party and the life of our nation. 
I conjure you to, to remember that this is the Negro's hour, and your first duty now is to go through the state and plead his claims. Abolitionist leaders Wendell Phillips and Theodore Tilton met with Anthony Stanton in the office of the National Anti-Slavery Standard, a leading abolitionist newspaper. The two men tried to convince the two women that the time had not yet come for women's suffrage, that they should campaign not for voting rights for both women and African Americans in the revised state constitution, but for voting rights for black men only. According to Ida Husted Harper, Anthony's authorized biographer, Anthony, was highly indignant and declared that she would sooner cut off her right hand than ask the ballot for the black man and not for women. Anthony Stanton continued to work for the inclusion of suffrage for both African Americans and women. In 1867, the AERA campaigned in Kansas for referenda that would enfranchise both African Americans and women. Wendell Phillips, who opposed mixing these two causes, blocked the funding that the AERA had expected for their campaign. After an internal struggle, Kansas Republicans decided to support suffrage for black men only and formed an anti-female suffrage committee to oppose the AERA's efforts. By the end of summer, the AERA campaign had almost collapsed and its finances were exhausted. Anthony and Stanton created a storm of controversy by accepting help during the last days of the campaign from George Francis Train, a wealthy businessman who supported women's rights. Train antagonized many activists by attacking the Republican Party and openly disparaging the integrity and intelligence of African Americans. There is reason to believe, however, that Anthony and Stanton hoped to draw the volatile train away from his cruder forms of racism and that he had actually begun to do so. After the Kansas campaign, the AERA increasingly divided into two wings, both advocating universal suffrage but with different approaches. One wing, whose leading figure was Lucy Stone, was willing for black men to achieve suffrage first and wanted to maintain close ties with the Republican Party and the, Ab and the abolitionist movement. The other, whose leading figures were Anthony and Stanton, insisted that women and black men should be enfranchised at the same time and work towards a politically independent women's movement that would no longer be dependent on abolitionists. The AERA effectively dissolved after a acrimonious meeting in May 1869 and two competing women's suffrage organizations were created in its aftermath. The Revolution Anthony Stanton began publishing a weekly newspaper called The Revolution in New York City in 1868. It focused primarily on women's rights, especially suffrage for women, but it also covered other topics including politics, the labor, the labor movement and finance. Its motto was men, their rights and nothing more, women, their rights and nothing less. One of its goals was to provide a forum in which women could exchange opinions on key issues 
from a variety of viewpoints. Anthony managed the business aspects of the paper, while Stanton was co-editor along with Parker Pillsbury, an abolitionist and a supporter of women's rights. Initial funding was provided by George Francis Train, the controversial businessman who supported women's rights but who alienated, who alienated many activists with his political and racial views. In the aftermath of the Civil War, major periodicals associated with the radical social reform movements had either become more conservative or had quit publishing or soon would. Anthony intended for the revolution to partially fill that void, hoping to grow it eventually into a daily paper with its own printing press. All owned and operated by women. The funding train had arranged for the newspaper, however, was less than Anthony had expected. Moreover, train sailed for England after the revolution published its first issue and was soon jailed for supporting Irish independence. Train's financial support eventually disappeared entirely. After 29 months, mountain debts forced Anthony to transfer the paper to Laura Curtis Bullard, a wealthy women's rights activist who gave it a less ra radical tone. The paper published its last issue less than two years later. Despite its short life, the revolution gave Anthony and Stanton a means for expressing their views. During the developing split within the women's movement, it also helped them promote their wing of the movement, which eventually became a separate organization. Attempted Alliance with Labour The National Labour Union, NLU, which was formed in 1866, began reaching out to farmers, African Americans and women with the intention of forming a broad-based political party. The revolution responded enthusiastically, declaring, The principles of the National Labour Union are our principles. It predicted that the producers, the working men, the women, the Negroes are destined to form a triple power that shall speedily wrest the scepter of government from the non-producers, the land monopolists, the bondholders, the politicians. Anthony and Stanton were seated as delegates to the NLU Congress in 1868, with Anthony representing the Working Women's Association, WWA, which had recently been formed in the offices of the revolution. The attempted alliance did not last long. During a printer's strike in 1869, Anthony voiced approval of an employer-sponsored training program that would teach women skills that would enable them, in effect, to replace the strikers. Anthony viewed the program as an opportunity to increase employment of women in a trade from which women were often excluded by both employers and unions. At the next NLU Congress, Anthony was first seated as a delegate, but then unseated because of strong opposition from those who accused her of supporting strike breakers. Anthony worked with the WWA to form all female labor unions, but with little success. She accomplished more in her work with a joint campaign by the WWA and the revolution to win a pardon for Hester Vaughan, a domestic worker who had been found guilty of infanticide 
and sentenced to death, charging that the social and legal systems treated women unfairly. The WWA petitioned, organized a mass meeting at which Anthony was one of the speakers and sent delegations to visit Vaughan in prison and to speak with the governor. Vaughan was eventually pardoned. Originally, with a membership that included over a hundred wage-earning women, the WWA evolved into an organization consisting almost entirely of journalists, doctors, and other middle-class work working women. Its members formed the core of the New York City portion of the new national suffrage organization that Anthony and Stanton were in the process of forming. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach your goals. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store. To the New Heights Show in Education. My name is Barbara Bullen, and I'm the radio host for this show. This show is pre-recorded and focuses on the history of civil rights. A recap of the first segment of the show on Susan B. Anthony will continue. Split in the Women's Movement. In May 1869, two days after the final AERA convention, Anthony, Stanton, and others formed the National Women's Suffrage Association, NWSA. In November 1869, Lucy Stone, Julia Ward, Howe, and others formed the competing American Women's Suffrage Association, AWSA. The hostile nature of their rivalry created a partisan atmosphere that endured for decades, affecting even professional historians of the women's movement. The immediate cause for the split was the proposed 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which would prohibit the denial of suffrage because of race. In one of her most controversial actions, Anthony campaigned against the amendment. She and Stanton called for women and African Americans to be enfranchised at the same time. They said that by effectively enfranchising all men while excluding all women, the amendment would create an aristocracy of sex by giving constitutional authority to the idea that men were superior to women. In 1873, Anthony said an oligarchy of wealth where the rich govern the poor, and an oligarchy of learning where the educated govern the ignorant, or even an oligarchy of race where the Saxon rules the African might be endured. But surely this oligarchy of sex, which makes the men of every household sovereigns, masters, 
the women subjects, slaves, care and dissension, rebellion into every home of the nation cannot be endured. The AWSA supported the amendment, but Lucy Stone, who became its most prominent leader, also made it clear that she believed that suffrage for women would be more beneficial to the country than suffrage for black men. Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. The two organizations had other differences as well. The NWSA was politically independent, but the AWSA, at least initially, aimed for close ties with the Republican Party, hoping that the ratification of the 15th Amendment would lead to a Republican push for women's suffrage. The NWSA focused primarily on women's suffrage at the national level, while the AWSA pursued a state-by-state -state strategy. The NWSA initially worked on a wider range of women's issues than the AWSA, including divorce reform and equal pay for women. Events soon removed much of the basis for the split in the women's movement. In 1870, debate about the 15th Amendment was made irrelevant when that amendment was officially ratified. In 1872, disgust with corruption in government led to a mass defection of abolitionists and other social reformers from the Republicans to the short-lived Liberal Republican Party. As early as 1875, Anthony began urging the NWSA to focus more exclusively on women's suffrage rather than a variety of women's issues. The rivalry between the two women's groups was so bitter, however, that a merger proved to be impossible for 20 years. The AWSA, which was especially strong in New England, was the larger of the two organizations, but it began to decline in strength during the 1880s. In 1890, the two organizations merged as the National American Women's Suffrage Association, NAWSA, with Stanton as president, but with Anthony as its effective leader. When Stanton retired from her post in 1892, Anthony became NAWSA's president. National Suffrage Movement By the end of the Civil War, according to historian Andy Gordon, Susan B. Anthony occupied new social territory. She was emerging on the national scene as a female leader, something new in American history, and she did so as a single woman in a culture that perceived the spinster as anomalous and unguarded. By the 1880s, she was among the senior political figures in the United States. After the formation of the NWSA, Anthony dedicated herself fully to the organization and to women's suffrage. She did not draw a salary from either it or its successor, the NAWSA but on the contrary used her lecture fees to fund those organizations. There was no national office, the mailing address being simply that one of the officers. That Anthony had remained unmarried 
gave her an important business advantage this work in this work a married woman at that time had the legal status of femme covert which among other things excluded her from signing contracts her husband could do that for her if he chose as anthony had no husband she was a femme soul and could freely sign contracts for convention halls printed materials etc using fees she earned by lecturing she paid off the debts she had accumulated while supporting the revolution with the press treating her as a celebrity she proved to be a major draw over her career she estimated that she averaged seventy five to one hundred speeches per year travel conditions in the earlier days were sometimes appalling once she gave a speech from the top of a billiard table on another occasion her train was snowbound for days and she survived on crackers and dried fish both anthony and stanton joined the lecture circuit about eighteen seventy usually travelling from mid-autumn to spring the timing was right because the nation was beginning to discuss women's suffrage as a serious matter occasionally they travelled together but most often not lecture bureaus scheduled their tours and handled the travel arrangements which generally involved travelling during the day and speaking at night sometimes for weeks at a time including weekends their lectures brought new recruits into the movement who strengthened suffrage organizations at the local state and national levels their journeys during that decade covered a distance that wasn't matched by any other reformer or politician anthony's other suffrage work included organizing national conventions lobbying congress and state legislatures and participating in a seemingly endless series of state suffrage campaigns a special opportunity arose in 1876 when the u.s celebrated its 100th birthday as an independent country the nwsa asked permission to present a declaration of rights for women at the official ceremony in philadelphia but was refused undaunted five women headed by anthony walked onto the platform during the ceremony and handed their declaration in the, to the startled official in charge as they left they handed out copies of it to the crowd spotting an unoccupied bandstand outside the hall anthony mounted it and read the declaration to a large crowd afterwards she invited everyone to a nwsa convention at the nearby unitarian church where speakers like Lucretia Mott and Elizabeth Cady Stanton awaited them. The work of all segments of the women's suffrage movement began to show clear results. Women won the right to vote in Wyoming in 1869 and in Utah in 1870. Her lectures in Washington and four other states led directly to invitations for her to address the state legislatures there. The Grange a large advocacy group for farmers officially supported women's suffrage as early as 1885. The Women's Christian Temperance Union, the largest women's organization in the country, also supported suffrage. Anthony's commitment to the movement, her Spartan lifestyle, and the fact that she did not seek personal financial gain made her an effective fundraiser and won her the admiration of many who did not agree with her goals. As her reputation grew, her working and travel conditions improved. 
she sometimes had the use of the private railroad car of jane stanford a sympathizer whose husband owned a major railroad while lobbying and preparing for the annual suffrage conventions in washington she was provided with a free suite of rooms in the riggs hotel whose owner supported her work to ensure continuity anthony trained a group of younger activists who were known as her nieces to assume leadership roles within the organization two of them carrie chapman cat and anna howard shaw served as presidents of the NAWSA after Anthony retired from that position. United States versus Susan B. Anthony The NWSA Convention of 1871 adopted a strategy of urging women to attempt to vote and then, after being turned away, to file suits in federal courts to challenge laws that prevented women from voting. The legal basis for the challenge would be the recently adopted 14th Amendment, part of which reads, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Following the example set by Anthony and her sisters, shortly before Election Day, a total of nearly 50 women in Rochester registered to vote in the presidential election of 1872. On election day, Anthony and 14 other women from her ward convinced the election inspectors to allow them to cast ballots, but women in other wards were turned back. Anthony was arrested on November 18, 1872 by a U.S. Deputy Marshal and charged with illegally voting. The other women who had voted were also arrested but released pending the outcome of Anthony's trial. Anthony's trial generated a national controversy and became a major step in the transition of the broader women's rights movement into the women's suffrage movement. Anthony spoke through Monroe County, New York, where her trial was to be held and from where the jurors for her trial would be chosen. Her speech was entitled, Is it a crime for a US citizen to vote? She said, we no longer petition legislature or Congress to give us the right to vote. We appeal to women everywhere to exercise their too long neglected citizens' right to vote. The U.S. Attorney arranged for the trial to be moved to the Federal Circuit Court, which would soon sit in neighboring Ontario County with a jury drawn from the county's inhabitants. Anthony responded by speaking throughout that country also began also before the trial began. Responsibility for that federal circuit was in the hands of Justice Ward Hunt, who had recently been appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Hunt had never served as a trial judge, originally a politician. He had begun his judicial career by being elected to the New York Court of Appeals. The trial, United States v. Susan B. Anthony, began on June 17, 1873, and was closely followed by the national press. Following a rule of common law at that time, which prevented criminal defendants in federal courts from testifying, Hunt refused to allow Anthony to speak until a verdict had been delivered. On the second day of the trial, after both sides had presented their cases, Justice Hunt delivered his lengthy opinion, which he had put in writing. In the most controversial aspect of the trial, Hunt directed the jury to deliver a guilty verdict. 
On the second day of the trial, Hunt asked Anthony if she had anything to say. She responded with the most famous speech in the history of the agitation for women's suffrage. According to Anne D. Gordon, a historian of the women's movement, repeatedly ignoring the judge's order to stop talking and sit down, she protested what she called this high-handed outrage upon my citizens' rights, saying, you have trampled underfoot every vital principle of our government. My natural rights, my civil rights, my political rights, my judicial rights are all alike ignored. She castigated Justice Hunt for denying her a trial by jury, but said that even if he had allowed the jury to discuss the case, she still would have been denied a trial by a jury of her peers because women were not allowed to be jurors. On the centennial of the Boston Tea Party, I stand before you tonight a convicted criminal, convicted by a Supreme Court judge, and sentenced to pay $100 fine and costs. For what? For asserting my right to representation in a government based upon the one idea of the right of every person governed to participate in that government? This is the result at the close of 100 years of this government that I, a native-born American citizen, am found guilty of neither lunacy nor idiocy, but of a crime, simply because I exercised our right to vote. Speech to the Union League Club, New York, December the 16th, 1873. When Justice Hunt sentenced Anthony to pay a fine of $100, equivalent to $2,300 in 2021, she responded, I shall never pay a dollar of your unjust penalty, and she never did. If Hunt had ordered her to be jailed until she paid the fine, Anthony could have taken her case to the Supreme Court. Hunt instead announced he would not order her taken into custody for closing off that legal avenue. The U.S. Supreme Court in 1875 put an end to the strategy of trying to achieve women's suffrage through the court system when it ruled in Minor v. Happersat that the Constitution of the United States does not confer the right of suffrage upon anyone. The NWSA decided to pursue the far more difficult strategy of campaigning for a constitutional amendment to achieve voting rights for women. On August 18, 2020, the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment, President Donald Trump announced that he would pardon Anthony. 148 years after her conviction, the president of the National Susan B. Anthony Museum and House wrote to decline the offer of a pardon on the principle that to accept a pardon would wrongly validate the trial proceedings in the same manner that paying the $100 fine would have. This comes to the conclusion of the show. The next show will be the continuation of Susan B. Anthony and History of Women's Suffrage. Thank you for listening. You can reach me by email, Barbara B. at newheightseducation.org. Be sure to join me every Sunday at radio.newheightseducation.org, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as I discuss the history of civil rights. Also join Olenian Tabert's pre-recorded radio show, which airs by Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and Pamela Clark's pre-recorded shows which airs Wednesday by 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Civil rights is our right. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings. Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring CuriosityStream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at SmartBundle.com.